Hello and welcome to Epoch number 108. I'm your host, Harry, joined by Bo, and we're going to be talking about the Spanish Civil War. Would you like it the other way around? Are you the host? No, I no. Okay. For those of you uh, who may be shocked, yes, Bo and I do actually work in the same office. This is the first time we've been on camera together, and I'm very happy to be here. I will say I have not been able to do any preparation for this, so I will just be a uh, at attentive and astute listener while you go through the uh, lecture that you've got prepared for me and if anything comes up I'll ask any questions because I am aware of the civil war in Spain in the 1930s tangentially regarding some of the things that went on but most of it is down to the kind of meme that you get of it which is that though on one side there was the revolutionaries and the communists and the republicans and on the other side there were the fascists which in polite talk basically means there were the good guys who were the republicans and then there were the bad guys who were the fascists and i know that it's far more complicated a situation than that and other than that most of what i've seen is some pretty horrific pictures that pop up on twitter every now and again of the exhumed corpses of nuns being paraded about by Republicans. So those are the two <laughs> ideas that I have of the Spanish Civil War. I've done some listening here and there, but I don't remember that much of it. So I'm excited to find out what went on. Cool. Yeah, no, that is it. That is one of the angles I want to talk about is sort of the low and higher, higher, slightly higher resolution views of it. Um, because yeah, there's a, I think there's quite a lot of sort of... Um, Boomer Truth regime stuff going on here. Certainly, with I would the, imagine the, so. The Spanish Civil War. Um, so, first thing to say, I think that it is one of those things that if you want a, a fairly decent view of history, certainly 20th century history, it's one of the things you've sort of got to come to terms with a bit. I said it once about, I think, the French Revolution in more, even more general terms. If you want a, a half decent view of history, you kind of have to do some reading on it or at least yeah, watch some documentaries about it. So the Spanish Civil War is one of those. That's certainly something else that <clears throat> certainly I got in my primary and secondary school education, which was we went in, whenever the French Revolution came up, it was a glorious moment when the people rose up against their tyrannical rulers, and then the second you start to do more reading into it, no, it was nothing like that. It certainly wasn't that simple. Mainly what you hear is the let them eat cake. Right, yeah, yeah. And I think the Spanish Civil War um, is salient for us today there's quite a lot of lessons to be learned there i think um quite a few parallels with what's going on today or where we're going in the near future politically i think there's all sorts of parallels that are sort of worth looking at in the spanish civil war so one of the first things to say is that it is quite messy and complicated um different bits of history are more or less complicated especially with ancient history quite often you've got a dearth of evidence there's just not that much to go on and so your view of it is is going to be less complicated. Whereas with, you know, more modern history, 20th century history, you've got sort of so much information or even misinformation or disinformation that um, it's actually hard to get to the real truth. And I think the Spanish Civil War is certainly one of those. I can certainly imagine so, especially because... As I said, there's the, the, the conception of the good guys versus the bad guys is very politically motivated, especially in the modern era that we live in, because anything that is right of Mao is going to automatically be demonized as the worst thing that has ever happened in humanity. The Spanish, um, the, the Spanish uh, 
fascists, if you want to call them, the conservative side, were somewhat, as far as I'm aware, funded by Mussolini and Hitler. So that association, from what I've heard at least, you can correct me if I'm wrong there as we go along, but that association just automatically tars them with the same brush mm. of they're mm. genocidal maniacs, they just wanted to kill everybody, they didn't want to do anything to save their nation, save their people or anything like that. They mm. just wanted to uh, assert a, a fascist totalitarian regime over everybody. And so any sources or any information that we could go out to the public that would contradict that narrative mm. is going to be either hidden or tarred or changed in the records in some way. Yeah, no, absolutely. So the fairly low resolution uh, view of it is that Franco, the ultimate leader of the of the nationalists and the, the Falange, the Spanish fascist party, uh, went on to be the dictator of Spain through the 1970s. He didn't die until like, what, 1975? So from 1936 to 1975, Spain had a, essentially a fascist dictator. But yeah, so, and he's the same as Hitler and Mussolini who weren't the same as each other anyway. And the real answer, the real thing is that he's not at all. He wasn't really at all. No, of and we'll, not, and we'll get into the details of that and some quotes from some decent historians and people that lived through it and all, and all that sort of thing, showing that that's not really the case. Well, it's just not, it's just not accurate. I mean, there are people who are still alive who are old enough to have lived within Franco's regime. And from the few reports that I've seen from people talking about it, it doesn't sound like it was that bad of a place to live. Right, yeah. I mean, it depends at what point um, and where you were. Um, <clears throat> um, yeah, and exactly what you'd done and all that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, Franco wasn't a, a, a maniac. He wasn't a maniac. Um, so anyway, yeah. So just to say that the sort of the low resolution version that you get um, from leftists, from Western leftists, because we've grown up in a world the, the post-war consensus, post-World War II consensus, is left-leaning. Um, it's, That's putting it lightly uh, right, as well, right? So Franco is just was just part of the the baddies, <laughs> if you like. I mean, George Orwell before even the war in his book Homage to Catalonia um, just says that if you fought for the the other side, the Republicans, uh, you were fighting on the side of decency against evil. It's as simple as that. I mean, in Homage to Catalonia. he does talk about how it's more complicated than that, but that's that was his view at the time or at the beginning. And that was that's the view of lots of people, and even leftist, left-leaning propagandists to this day, uh, would still have that view. Uh, but to, again, when you look at it in any real detail, it's just more it's more complicated than that. Well, they would want to take any movement that was dedicated to its own nation, protecting the nation and its people, and tar it as the ultimate evil, something worse than anything that's ever happened throughout history. Ignore Mao, ignore Stalin's Russia, ignore all of these purges and mur mass murders and starvations. Anything that is dedicated to preserving the nation and not being globalist, essentially, mm. has to be tarred as the worst thing ever so that we can use that same tactic against modern movements that are trying to do the same thing. Right, yeah, absolutely. I've got a quick quote here from um, Anthony Beaver, his great book on Spanish Civil War. Anthony Beaver's a best-selling author and sort of a world-class historian, really, no doubt about that. And he said um, this, quote, History is usually written by the winners, but in the case of the Spanish Civil War, it has mostly been written on behalf of the losers. This development was, of course, decisively influenced by the subsequent defeat of the nationalist Axis allies. So in other words, the winners of World War II you know, it's in their interest just to paint fascism or or the or the right of all the all the politics of the right in of every stripe as just terribly wrong. Um, and you know, uh, well, 
It doesn't really, it doesn't apply to Frank. I mean, his side of the world definitely did do crimes and atrocities and bad things. So that's what I want to, that's what I want to try and do here. Is try and get to the, the real truth of things if possible. Try and redress that balance a little bit. There was a, there's a documentary on YouTube, which I watched for this. And it's sort of a classic example. It's from, made by Granada Television back in the 80s, I think. I think it's got Jeremy Irons doing the commentary. It's just a, a classic example of where they play down the crimes of the leftists and bemoan the the crimes of of the right of the rightists of the nationalists and it's like if you think about it for a moment it's just it's not really balanced well th this is once again been the case of everything that those broadly allied with the left since 1945 has always been tarred, well, has always been just swept under the rug. Anything wrong that they did or that we did in these wars mm. has kind of been hidden or obfuscated or just excused. Mm. And any anything that the right has done that was bad has been amplified and had a magnifying glass put on it. And mm. nobody on the right, if there has been atrocities in these situations, would want to defend them in the first place, I would oh, imagine, yeah. because atrocities are atrocities. They're bad all the time, exactly. no matter who's committing them. Yeah, no, absolutely that. Um, yeah, and it's not that the, uh, the Franco regime didn't do bad things. They definitely did. There's one account, or more than one account, if you start looking into this in any real detail, read a proper book about it or something, um, there's quite a lot of accounts of people that changed sides or just lived through it one way or another or sort of apolitical, and they said, yeah, both sides, any crime you can think of that one side did, the other side sort of did that. That seems to be the case. And yet, you, you, they'll, in a documentary or something, they'll show you someone saying that and then immediately go on to play down what, what the leftists did. But uh, it was more all right when we did it, though. Yeah. Like, for example, there was one point in there where they talk about, um, they, they talk about two different sort of war crimes, basically atrocities. One where the, the rightists uh, at Badillos, Badillos, I probably pronounced loads of these Spanish words They're wrong, Spanish by the way. Spanish names, Spanish words. We're not Spanish. We're English. We have a, a proud ignorance when it comes to pronouncing foreign names and words. Yeah, I'm going to anglicise all the Spanish words here, unapologetically. <laughs> you know, it's just a bit embarrassing. People might think I'm a bit boorish for doing that, and I suppose it is, but it's just a bit embarrassing to, to do it. You know, like Valencia should really be pronounced Valencia. It's like, oh, I just feel a bit... That, I, I feel a bit you know, try-hard, a yeah, bit hipster right. trying to pronounce it like that. Exactly, it, yeah. It goes against my Anglo spirit. Let's say Barcelona. It's like, ooh. I'll just say Barcelona, it's fine. Barcelona, <laughs> that's how I say it. Eat at Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> Get Morgoth on. <laughs> um, so, um, where was I? That's, that's put me off my stride. Where was oh, yeah, talk about the... Um, uh, but there's a few, like, like badder jaws... It's, it's Badahoth, I think. It's, anyway, there's a place there where the, the, the nationalists, the rightists, um, just took anyone, completely extrajudicial killings, a few thousand, just rounded the people up, took them to the ball ring and shot them. And that's like described fairly accurately, I suppose, as uh, an atrocity. <clears throat> Certainly you know, a war crime. A terrible crime, yeah. Um, and then in reprisal to that, the, the leftists, the communists in Madrid, um, had a prison full of rightists and they sort of burnt it down, burning them alive and, and took all them out and shot them. And, and that was, that was a, that's a tragedy though. That's not an atrocity. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy that we were forced to have to go that far. Yeah, I'm they sure may or may not have burnt down their own uh, prison. And the leaders were really upset about it. 
you know, so that just gives you a, a taste. I just want to try and redress that a little bit, but basically just try and tell the story of the Spanish Civil War without sort of the, the, the woke lens on it, if we can. Yeah, so, um, so ha I'm sure it's a big question, yeah. and it's going to be very complicated, but how, how did all of this start then? How were the okay. factions decided, and how did they begin the conflict? Okay, yeah, so if we could do a quick five, ten minutes of just a, a run-up to to when it kicked off. It's, it's from 1936 to 1939 is the Spanish Civil War. So, <clears throat> let's start. Where to start? That's a classic thing when you tell a history story. Where to start? Uh, well, in the 19th century, um, after Napoleon after the Spanish kicked out Napoleon right at the beginning of the 19th century with the help of the British and, um, and uh, Arthur Wellesley, the Duke of Wellington, um, there was actually quite a, there was a few sort of civil wars, not full-blown civil wars, but there was a few, um, few civil wars in Spain, like one in the 1830s, I think two in the 1840s, one in the 1870s, uh, largely based around uh, a faction called Carlists, um, up in the north, up in Nevers, there was a, a group called the Carlists, and they still they're still around during the 1930s. They had sort of a, an idea of a, a sort of arch Catholics, Catholic ultras, and um, they had a different idea of monarchy, a different monarch they wanted to be in charge. And anyway, there was lots of civil unrest throughout the 19th century, but Spain, um, sort of famously, they always say had a very very backward economy. Um, and a kind of uh, a stalled economy, really, um, all through the 19th century. And uh, backward and maybe a bit strong, but um, a type of a not very sophisticated sort of social system, still very heavily, heavily Catholic. Um, there was giant inequality. Um, you know, no wonder leftism did well there, had a genuine foothold, some sort of genuine popular support, because the normal people were... Uh, a lot of them, the rural peasants, were landless and were treated terribly and all that sort of thing. Um, so all throughout the, the 19th century, Spain was in, a, in a, a bad spot, basically. They'd lost loads of their empire. All the New World, there was the, there was the, the, the disaster of 1898, where the Spanish-American War, when uh, the United States relieved Spain of like the Philippines, uh, Puerto Rico... Um, Re relief, Cuba. I'm sure, is a, a light term for it. Right, yeah, yeah. Basically, the Spanish Navy and army and sort of political system wasn't capable of keeping hold of most of its foreign, a lot, not, but most of its foreign holdings, like Cuba and the Philippines. So they'd begun to slowly Big fall out of step with the development of the rest of the world. Yeah. But, I mean, that had, already, that had been going on for a couple of hundred years already. That, that was just sort of the final... Final straw. America, the United States, was quite reluctant to sort of take over, essentially take over the Philippines and Cuba because it's like a bit of a poison chalice, a bit of a headache. But it's like the Spanish just couldn't, it was like a house of cards, you just had to touch it and it would all fall apart. Anyway, that happened right at the very, very end of the, uh, of the 19th century. So Spain, in, and as you can imagine, in a point of national prestige is sort of humiliating, something like that. Um, and so they're yeah, not exactly the sick man of Europe because that was reserved, that monarchy is reserved for the Ottoman Empire, but they were, were by not one of the greatest nations in Europe by sort of a long way by the turn of the 20th century. Um, they, their, their king, um, and Alfonso XIII, um, seems to have been um, sort of a relatively good guy. During World War I, um, he chose to remain neutral. 
Um, and he said, he said about World War One, it's just like an insane folly. I think he called it. I mean, if and he wasn't wrong, right? If you're still within, you know, twenty years of your last great military defeat, I, I find it unlikely that you'd be so willing to jump into your, potentially your next one, especially because I imagine that also comes with a lot of civilian casualties. You've already got a backwards economy. You need every man on you can, I would imagine, so that you can try and get your country back up and running in the way that you want it to be. Yeah, absolutely. They still had some holdings in Morocco and they just wanted to try and hold on to like their last vestiges of, of empire, basically, in Morocco. Um, and yeah, he made, because uh, that king sort of just made the decision that now we're going to remain neutral here. So that's another thing I want to say before I go on. Uh, just about the general impression of Spain. Um, so uh, among Brits of our age, of our generations, we think of Spain as, uh, because it remained neutral in World War I and World War II, um, sort of fairly sort of unwarlike. There were no battlefields in World War I or World War II in Spain. But the reality is... Spain has been one of those places throughout history where there's, con not constant, but just tons and tons of war has gone down since ancient times in Spain. So it's just a sort of a bit of an, an anomaly. isn't really the right way of saying it, but you get what I'm getting so, at. So is that it they, that they didn't have anything really to do with World War I and World War II. Um, there's tons of war have gone down in mainland Spain. Tons. So they tend to keep their wars in to the mainland and not go elsewhere for them. Well, yeah, I suppose so, yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's a battle towards the end of this, the Battle of the Ebro. Ebro, Ebro, there's a river, the valley. I've heard it pronounced both ways. Um, the Romans were fighting there generations before Julius Caesar. So, from the ancient world, like the, the Reconquista, seven, eight hundred year long war with, with the Muslims in Spain. Um, the Peninsula War during the Napoleonic era, the whole of Spain. I mentioned multiple wars during the 19th century amongst themselves. And then the, the Spanish Civil War of the 1930s. So I think a lot of people think, oh, well, Spain just remained neutral during World War II. So they're sort of, they don't really equate Spain with war all that much. But a better reading of history is that they are quite a, a warlike people, have not been spared war, even though. Again, they didn't have massive roles to play in World War I and World War II. Um, another thing to mention, I think an impression people have got of Spain, especially Brits, is that it's nice and lovely and hot. Yes, that's always been my impression of it because from, from childhood I've gone on multiple holidays there and I think a lot of Brits nowadays, they see it as a holiday destination mm. more than its own country with its own history, unless they're talking about the Spanish Civil War, in which case that's just something that happened a long while back. And now we've got holiday destinations. Barcelona, isn't it so lovely? Oh, don't you want to go to Ibiza this year? Mm. Well, since Franco started um, relaxing in the, in, towards the, the end of the 60s and after he died in the mid-70s, the Spanish tourism industry exploded. I've been to Spain, what, three times on holiday? Um, but Brits go there, they go to the seaside in summer and yeah, it's baking hot. However, most of Spain is mountainous and the, the, the middle of Spain is a higher plateau. Yes. And it's freezing. In the Peninsula War and this war and loads of other accounts all throughout history is people, it's absolutely freezing in Spain. 
I, I can believe that to be fair. I think uh, where, where is it? Is there like a, a small nation state almost within the mountains around Spain called Andorra? Andorra. Yeah. I've been there, oh, right. and it's a, a very very long drive from where my parents and I were staying. It was about a five hour long drive, and the vast majority of, of it, you've reminded me now, it's come back, it come shooting back to me, was through the mountains, and there is just mountains everywhere as far as you can see, mountain ranges, and you know the, the higher up you go, the snowier it gets, and you can see the tops of the peaks of the mountains are very snowy and you get to Andorra and it's in the valley it's in the middle of all of these mountains and even then it was the middle of summer and it was probably the coldest place that we went to at the time even though it was the middle of summer still it wasn't the same baking heat that we got when we were on the coastline yeah so like I say I've been to Spain a few times on holiday and uh, it's, yeah, it's been like an oven mm. but yeah in winter in the mountains people die of cold loads like soldiers that are left in trenches um, throughout the centuries, um, yeah, lots and lots of accounts of the weather being terrible and being absolutely bitterly, bitterly cold. So, you know, that's just the opposite of um, going on holiday to the beach and it's uh, insanely hot. I can see why so, they're not the tourist destinations. So there's just a few impressions that are sort of a bit counter counterintuitive or just the, the opposite is largely true. Um so yeah, just wanted to mention that. Um, the other thing, quick note before I carry on with sort of the events and the politics about the geography of Spain is that um, it's broken up into regions. Very, this, that's a very real thing. You know, in Britain, there's you could go from Scotland as soon as you come out of the Highlands of Scotland, it's just sort of one long continuous thing all the way to the south coast, right? Uh, but in Spain, it is really broken up into lots of different regions and they've all got their own, uh, really their own culture and their own sort of economies, microeconomies. And um, Spain is quite a fractured thing. You know, in Britain, like the Cornishmen think of themselves as a bit separate. Yeah, or, I think there's or, an independence movement in Cornwall as right, well. It's yeah. very strange. It seems like it wouldn't really get very far if they did decide to break off from the rest of us. Or Yorkshiremen think of themselves as something a bit separate. It's a, it's a bit parochial and almost a bit tongue-in-cheek, I would say, because, you know, I'm from relatively... Uh, some would argue that I'm from the Midlands, but I am I consider myself from the North. I'm close enough to Manchester to consider myself a Northman. Um, <laughs> and there's the there's the geographical, there's North-South divide where we have a bit of a go at one another. Are you soft Southern puffs, Northern monkeys, etc.? But really, we all know that we're all playing for the same team. We're all Englishmen, right. and that's how we see it. But uh, from what one of the other things I have heard about the Spanish Civil War was that there was a pretty distinct cut-off north-south divide between how the factions arrange themselves. Is that the case? Yeah, I mean, it's more complicated than that. When you said that about the, the British uh, the British version, it's, it's all tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, very much so. In Spain, not at all. Um, it's not really north and south. It's more that each place has got its sort of completely own identity. I mean, um, one of the things I do remember from going holiday there is... Uh, I've always been to the north of Spain, sort of around the Barcelona area. And I think there's a city called Girona that I've mm, been to a mm, number of times. Mm. And that seems to, I don't know the exact geography of the place, but I would imagine it falls within the Catalonia. It is, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because whenever you go there, you see plenty of Catalonian flags hang, hanging out of the window, lots of uh, independence for Catalonia, propaganda everywhere. There's a lot of public support for it, even if it is still just part of, uh, mainly part of Spain. Yeah, so straight away then, Catalonia, um, 
on the sort of uh, the northeast part of Spain with Barcelona. Yeah, that's where I've um, been to. Right, yeah. So they, throughout history, they've been independent at different points. Um, and they've, again, got their own sort of industry, their own sort of economy, certainly their own identity and culture. And they want to be, loads of people there want to be completely separate from Spain. And they've had, it's just a very, very, very long, take it from me, a very long story, an ordeal really of, of, Catalans wanting to be their own thing. Um, and then up along the north coast of Spain, there's the Basque, the Basque region, um, like centered around sort of Bilbao. And, um, and, and there's like Basque separatists. You ever heard of ETA, the terrorist group ETA? No, I haven't. Yeah, they, when I was younger, they used to, well, not even that many years ago, they still exist, I believe, but they would blow up, do car bombs like the IRA in my lifetime. That's how serious the Basque separatists are. Um, a little region up in, in, in the north of Spain. Deadly serious about their independence. Uh, but yeah, like the people from uh, Galicia in the far west of Spain consider themselves quite separate mountain peoples. The people from Andalusia in the south of Spain consider, well, they have got, they have got a, sep a sort of a separate culture, separate, separate way of life I can, in I some can imagine ways. how it would develop when you've got these gigantic mountain ranges separating vast swaths of land where people who are kind of insulated from the other parts of the country would develop their own mm. particular culture in those mm. areas. Yeah. I mean, there's the regions of what used to be called Old and New Castile, more in the middle of Spain, and the Aragonese from Aragon. They're all quite separate, and they're separated by mountain ranges. It's not just the Pyrenees across the top of Spain, separating Spain from France. There's mountain ranges crisscross all of Spain. And yeah, these re the, the regions are really quite separate things. So without stressing that point over and over again, um, the reason why the Spanish Civil War is sort of so complicated, it's not just left-right. It's not just Republicans versus nationalists. There's, there's, there is the left-right thing, but then there's also the economics of, of poor people versus more rich people, the bourgeoisie versus the proletariat. But then there's sort of regionalists versus centralists, people that want Spain to be one country and people that don't. People want, want their own region to be its own thing. Um, and then on top of that, you've got uh, Anthony Beaver talks about a, yet another layer on top of that of um, authoritarians versus libertarians, people that want a strong government and people that, that don't. And libertarians, just in the terms, in sort of the true sense of that, just liberty, not sort of a Murray Rothbard type libertarian, but just, you know, the idea of the individual and, and liberty and that the government doesn't tell you really what to do much. And people are like, no, I want a strict central government, you know? So there's many, many layers going on. And I imagine, given what happened and the fact that Spain is still just one country, I imagine Franco was a centralizer. I know uh, people describe him as an authoritarian, so he was, wanted strong central government, I would imagine, to keep the country together. Right, yeah, no, so exactly that. Um, so let's just uh, try and talk about some of the, the, the two sides then. So let's talk about the, the right first, the, nation, the nationalists, the national front. Um, so they were made up of, just to call them fascists, the fascists. It's just too low resolution. They were made up of loads and loads of different things. And you said that's how George Orwell yeah. described them in Homage to Catalonia, that he would take the leftist side and describe all of the various different factions and all of the conflicts they had with each other. But then whenever it was talking about the right wing, it was, just, oh, just the fascists. Yeah, that's exactly what he does. 
Um, if anyone's not sure how much of a leftist George Orwell was, read Homage to Catalonia and you realise he's sort of a rabid anti-fascist. He's a full-blown, full-blooded, full-throated socialist. Well, he, he wrote all his criticism, all his criticism fascism. of the left is from the left. Uh, being no doubt about that, absolutely no doubt. He 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 loved the idea of killing fascists, killing them. There's a bit in Amish Catalonia where they storm a trench. Actually, fairly brave to be honest. Um, and he's trying to stab a guy in the back. An unarmed fascist is running away from him, and he's trying to stab the guy in the back. He fails. He's like he threw he threw bombs and was hopefully killed some people, you know, so be, be aware of that when you're thinking of, about uh, George Orwell. Another way to characterise this is that um, 1984 is not some creed against socialism as a pure concept, it's against Stalinism. And uh, I think Orwell at the time might have still been a Trotskyist. I know he was in contact with James Burnham, who was an ex-Trotskyist, and James Burnham's idea of power and how it all worked out was kind of distressing to him because he didn't want to accept that, oh God, politics isn't as simple left-right as I thought it was. All of its power games and with these ideologies basically is just facades put up. Mm. And that's one of the things, I've, I've not read 1984 myself, but I've heard that I think one of the characters, O'Brien, is supposed to be James Burnham in that. And supposedly, <laughs> supposedly he's just the character who's like, no, this is just how the world works and everybody's kind of, distressed with him because it's so distressing the idea that oh this is th this kind of absolutist power just changing hands without any particular rhyme or reason is just how the world works is kind of a distressing idea for a lot of people yeah i mean orwell seems to have just been upset that socialism had been perverted by the soviets and not that leftism was wrong. That was the case with a lot of extras. Wrong-headed or anything. Yeah, I mean, I can talk a bit about, um, I don't want to go into it too much, but talk about how I've described Orwell as a trot before, and he wasn't really. I can talk about that, how he's the faction he fought for, the POOM, that's their acronym, um, were they were slandered as, as Trotskyists, but they weren't really. But anyway, the point is he was a, he was a, well, when he went to Spain as a journalist, he said, he basically said, um, the only thing I could do, the only thing I felt I could do is join a Marxist militia. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he said. In fact, if I've got a, a quote here, he said, um, um, I haven't actually got the quote, but he just said, uh, yeah, he said, I, I just wanted to fight for decency. And, uh, he, he, he literally says that I just had no in his mind I had no choice but to join a Marxist militia and fight fascism to watch the full video please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com